European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 44, Issue 10. Focus Issue, Valvular Heart Disease. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Spotlight on Aortic Stenosis and Dissection. Mechanisms, Management and New Therapeutic Targets. This focus issue on valvular heart disease contains the state-of-the-art review article ESC-EACTS versus ACC-AHA guidelines for the management of severe aortic stenosis by Grace Lee and colleagues from the Tometri Faculty of Medicine in Toronto, Canada. The authors note that aortic stenosis, or AS, is a serious and complex condition for which optimal management continues to evolve rapidly. An understanding of current clinical practice guidelines is critical to effective patient care and shared decision-making. This state-of-the-art review compares recommendations for AS based on the evidence to date. The European and American guidelines were generally congruent except for three key distinctions. First, the European guidelines recommend intervening at a left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, of 55%, compared with 60% over serial imaging for the American guidelines for asymptomatic patients. Second, the European guidelines recommend a threshold of greater than or equal to 65 years for surgical bioprosthesis, where the American guidelines employ multiple age categories, providing latitude for patient factors and preferences. Third, the guidelines endorse different age cutoffs for transcatheter versus surgical aortic valve replacement, despite limited evidence. This review also discusses trends indicating a decreasing proportion of mechanical valve replacements. Finally, the review identifies gaps in the literature for areas including transcatheter aortic valve implantation in asymptomatic patients, the appropriateness of ROS procedures, concomitant coronary revascularization with aortic valve replacement, and bicuspid AS. Remarkable progress has become especially apparent in aortic medicine in the last few decades, leading to essential changes in how thoracic aortic dissection is understood and treated. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Acute Aortic Dissection Evidence, Uncertainties and Future Therapies Bartosz Rilski and colleagues from the University of Freiburg in Germany address the mechanisms of acute aortic dissection, explaining the role of its primary entry location and proximal and distal dissection extension in clinical presentation, and its impact on the decision-making process towards the best treatment approach. The latest evidence on novel treatment methods for acute aortic syndromes is also presented, and the diverse dissection classification systems that remain uncertain are discussed, which reveals the need for shared terminology and more clarity. Finally, future aspects are discussed in treating acute aortic dissection, such as the endovascular treatment of aortic dissection type A and biomarkers for acute aortic syndromes. There is growing interest in tricuspid regurgitation, or TR, also because of the expansion of new forms of transcatheter tricuspid valve intervention, or TTVI. 
The impact of sex in patients with significant TR undergoing TTVI is unknown. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Sex-Related Characteristics and Short-Term Outcomes of Patients Undergoing Transcatheter Tricuspid Valve Intervention for Tricuspid Regurgitation, Andrea Scotti and colleagues from the Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx, New York, USA, investigate sex-specific outcomes in patients with significant TR treated with TTVI versus medical therapy alone. The transcatheter tricuspid valve therapies, or trivalve registry, collected data on patients with significant TR from 24 centers who underwent TTVI from 2016 to 2021. A control cohort was formed by medically managed patients with severe isolated TR diagnosed between 2015 and 2018. The primary endpoint was freedom from all-cause mortality. Secondary endpoints were heart failure or HF hospitalization, New York Heart Association or NYHA functional status, and TR severity. One-year outcomes were assessed for the trivalve cohort and compared with the control cohort with the inverse probability of treatment weighting, or IPTW. A total of 556 and 2,072 patients were included from the trivalve and control groups respectively. After TTVI, there was no difference between women and men in one-year freedom from all-cause mortality, 81% versus 78%, P equaling 0.56, or in HF hospitalization, P equaling 0.36, NYHA functional classes 3 and 4, P equaling 0.17, and TR severity at last follow-up, P equaling 0.42. Multivariable Cox regression weighted by IPTW showed improved one-year survival after TTVI compared with medical therapy alone in both women, adjusted hazard ratio, or AHR, 0.45, P equaling 0.01, and men, AHR, 0.42, P equaling 0.03. The authors conclude that after TTVI in high-risk patients, there was no sex-related differences in terms of survival, HF hospitalization, functional status, and TR reduction up to one year. The IPTW analysis shows a survival benefit of TTVI over medical therapy alone in both women and men. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Maurice Enrique Serrano from the Minneapolis Heart Institute Foundation in Minnesota, USA, and Julia Grasper from Guy's and St. Thomas NHS Trust in London, United Kingdom. The authors point out that a renewed impetus in clinical studies of TR and in clinical practice, with consistent TR severity quantitation as well as quantitation of hemodynamic derangements and right heart remodeling, is essential. Most importantly, we need to be certain that transcatheter therapies apply similarly in men and women, and the trial design should be revised to allow a sufficient sample size for both sexes, in order to conclude formally that women indeed benefit from TR treatment. This sex-specific trial design is crucial for all patients with TR.
Data from several randomized clinical trials, or RCTs, comparing transcatheter aortic valve implantation, or TAVI, with surgical aortic valve replacement, or SAVAR, are available, including longer-term follow-up. In a meta-analysis article entitled Transcatheter versus Surgical Aortic Valve Replacement in Lower-Risk and Higher-Risk Patients, a meta-analysis of randomized trials. Yusuf Ahmad and colleagues from Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut, USA, compared TAVI with SAVAR. A pragmatic risk classification was applied, partitioning lower-risk and higher-risk patients. The main endpoints were death, strokes, and the composite of death or disabling stroke occurring at one year, early, or after one year, later. A random effects meta-analysis was performed. Eight RCTs with 8,698 patients were included. In lower-risk patients at one year, the risk of death was lower after TAVI compared with SAVAR. Relative risk, or RR, 0.67, P equaling 0.031, as was death or disabling stroke, RR, 0.68, P equaling 0.014. There were no differences in strokes. After one year in lower-risk patients, there was no significant differences in all main outcomes. In higher-risk patients, there was no significant differences in main outcomes. New-onset atrial fibrillation, major bleeding, and acute kidney injury occurred less after TAVI. New pacemakers, vascular complications, and paravalvular leak occurred more after TAVI. Ahmad and colleagues conclude that there were no significant long-term differences for lower and higher-risk patients. Informed therapy decisions may be more dependent on the temporality of events or secondary endpoints than the long-term occurrence of main clinical outcomes. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Thomas Pilgrim, George Siontis and Stefan Windecker from the University of Bern in Switzerland. The authors state that TAVI has profoundly changed the field of cardiovascular medicine. The momentum of TAVI fueled transcatheter valve therapies beyond the aortic valve and represents a blueprint for the evidence-based evaluation of device-based therapies in cardiovascular medicine. In addition to the technological innovation, TAVI also sets the pace for organizational and cultural change. It disrupted the parallel existence of cardiology and cardiovascular surgery and is about to shape a chimeric speciality that transcends historical structures. At the same time, TAVI moves patient involvement in the decision process of the optimal treatment strategy to the forefront. Organizational structure in cardiovascular medicine needs to catch up with technological advances. TAVI has vitalized the exchange between cardiologists and cardiovascular surgeons, not only in scientific debates, but more importantly, in everyday clinical practice. Often portrayed as a contentious issue at the interface of cardiology and cardiovascular surgery, TAVIA faced the borders between cardiology and cardiovascular surgery and has been bringing the specialities together much more than driving them apart. Studies assessing transfemoral TAVI, or TF-TAVI, showed lower rates of in-hospital mortality at high-volume hospitals 
and minimum caseloads were recommended to ensure quality standards. In a clinical research article entitled Transfemoral Aortic Valve Implantation Procedural Hospital Volume and Mortality in Germany Kurt Besterhorn and colleagues from the Technical University Dresden in Germany analysed all patients in the German Mandatory Quality Assurance Registry with elective or urgent TF-TAVI procedures in 2018 and 2019 at 81 and 82 hospitals respectively. Observed in-hospital mortality was adjusted to expected mortality by the German AKL CAF score, or O-E, as well as by the Euroscore 2, or O-E2. Hospital volume and O-E were correlated by regression analyses and volume quartiles. About 40,000 patients, mean aged 81 years, were analysed in 2018 and 2019. The average observed in-hospital mortality was 2.57 plus or minus 1.83% and 2.36 plus or minus 1.6% respectively. Unadjusted in-hospital mortality was significantly inversely related to hospital volume by linear regression in both years. After risk adjustment, the association between hospital volume and O-E was statistically significant in 2019, R-squared 0.049, P equaling 0.046, but not in 2018. R squared equaling 0.027, P equaling 0.14. The variance of O slash E explained by the numbers of cases in 2019 was low, 4.9%. Differences in OE outcome between the first and fourth quartile were not statistically significant in both years. Any chosen volume cutoff could not precisely differentiate between hospitals with quality that was not acceptable and those with acceptable, O slash E less than or equal to 95th percentile, or above average, O slash E less than 1, quality. For example, in 2019, a cutoff value of 150 would exclude only two hospitals with quality that was not acceptable, while 20 hospitals with acceptable or above average quality, 25% of all hospitals, would be excluded. The authors conclude that the association between hospital volume and in-hospital mortality in patients undergoing elective TF-TAVI in Germany in 2018 and 2019 was weak and not consistent throughout various analytical approaches, indicating no clinical relevance of hospital volume for the outcome. However, these data were derived from a healthcare system with restricted access to hospitals to perform TAVI and overall high TAVI volumes. Instead of the unprecise surrogate hospital volume, the quality of hospitals performing TF TAVI should be directly assessed by real achieved risk-adjusted mortality. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Josef Rhodes Cabal and Jorg Nuche from the Laval University in Quebec, Canada. Rhodes Cabal and Nuche indicate that the work of Besterhorn et al showed that the TAVI volume-stroke mortality relationship seems to be attenuated in the current era, particularly among centres with TAVI numbers close to or beyond three digits. The confirmation of these data in other countries with very different TAVI penetration levels and healthcare systems 
may reduce waiting times and facilitate the access of the population to this technology by having more TAVI programs available. However, technology maturity and lowering patients' risk has translated into a major decrease in periprocedural mortality rates, and more sophisticated performance metrics should probably be used for evaluating the quality of TAVI programs in the future. Indications for surgery in patients with degenerative mitral regurgitation, or DMR, are increasingly liberal in all clinical guidelines. However, the role of secondary outcome determinants, being left atrial volume index greater than or equal to 60 milliliters per meter squared, atrial fibrillation, pulmonary artery systolic pressure greater than or equal to 50 millimeters of mercury, and moderate to severe tricuspid regurgitation, and their impact on post-operative outcome remain disputed. In a clinical research article entitled Factors Influencing Post-Surgical Survival in Degenerative Mitral Regurgitation, Stila Butcher and colleagues from Leiden University Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, note that whether these secondary outcome markers are just reflective of the DMR severity or intrinsically affect survival after DM surgery is uncertain and may have critical importance in the management of patients with DMR. To address these gaps of knowledge, the present study gathered a large cohort of patients with quantified DMR, accounted for the number of secondary outcome markers, and examined their independent impact on survival after surgical correction of the DMR. The Mitral Regurgitation International Database Quantitative Registry includes patients with isolated DMR from centers across North America, Europe, and the Middle East. Patient enrollment extended from January 2003 to January 2020. All patients undergoing mitral valve surgery within one year of registry enrollment were selected. A total of 2,276 patients, mean age 65 years, 32% male, across five centers met the study eligibility criteria. Over a median follow-up of 5.6 years, 12.2% of patients died. In a comprehensive multivariable Cox regression model, adjusted for age, Euroscore 2, symptoms, LVEF, left ventricular end systolic diameter, or LVESD, and DMR severity, the number of secondary outcome determinants was independently associated with post-operative all-cause mortality, with an AHR of 1.56, P equaling 0.011, 1.78, P equaling 0.002, and 2.58, P being less than 0.0001, for patients with 1, 2, and 3 or 4 secondary outcome determinants, respectively. A model incorporating the number of secondary outcome determinants demonstrated a higher C index and was significantly more concordant with post-operative mortality than models incorporating traditional class 1 indications alone, while there was no significant difference in concordance observed compared with a model that incorporated the number of class 1 indications for surgery combined. Butcher et al. conclude by noting that in this large cohort of patients treated surgically for DMR, the presence and number of secondary outcome determinants were independently associated with post-surgical survival 
and demonstrated better outcome discrimination than traditional class 1 indications for surgery. RCTs are needed to determine if patients with severe DMR who demonstrate a cardiac phenotype with an increasing number of secondary outcome determinants would benefit from early surgery. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Bernard Iung and Gaspard Souk from the Hôpital Bichat in Paris, France. Iung and Souk point out that despite growing refinements in risk stratification of patients with asymptomatic MR, optimal timing for surgery remains to be determined. This remains one of the rare issues in which approaches still differ between ACC-AHA and ESC-EACTS guidelines. While ESC-EACTS guidelines favour identification of patients at higher risk of events, corresponding to the approach of Butcher et al., ACC-AHA guidelines consider surgery as soon as MR is severe, regardless of hemodynamic consequences on the left ventricle, left atrium and pulmonary circulation. No evidence allows the determination of which approach is the most appropriate. At the present time, it should be pointed out that both American and European guidelines highlight the importance of referral to expert heart valve centres, and it can be expected that this will remain paramount in future guidelines. Calcific aortic valve disease, or CAVD, is the most common valve disease which consists of a chronic interplay of inflammation, fibrosis and calcification. In a translational research article entitled Sortolin enhances fibrosis and calcification in aortic valve disease by inducing interstitial cell heterogeneity. Farwa Iqbal and colleagues from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA point out that in this study Sortolin, or SORT1, is identified as a novel key player in the pathophysiology of CAVD. An aortic valve, or AV, wire injury, or AVWI, mouse model with Sortolin deficiency was used to determine the effects of Sortolin on AV stenosis, fibrosis, and calcification. In vitro experiments employed human primary valvular interstitial cells, or VICs, cultured in osteogenic conditions for 7, 14, and 21 days and processed for imaging, proteomics, and transcriptomics, including single-cell RNA sequencing, or sCRNA sequencing. The AVWI mouse model showed reduced AV fibrosis, calcification, and stenosis in sortolin-deficient mice versus litimate controls. Protein studies identified the transition of human VICs into a myofibroblast-like phenotype mediated by sortolin. Sortolin loss of function decreased in vitro VIC calcification. sCRNA sequencing identified 12 differentially expressed cell clusters in human VIC samples, where a novel combined inflammatory myofibroblastic osteogenic VIC, or IMO-VIC, phenotype was detected, with increased expression of SORT1, COL1A1, WNT5A, IL6, and serum amyloid A1. VICs sequenced with sortolin deficiency showed decreased IMO-VIC phenotype. 
The authors conclude that Sortlin promotes CAVD by mediating valvular fibrosis and calcification and a newly identified phenotype, IMOVIC. This is the first study to examine the role of Sortlin in valvular calcification and it may render it a therapeutic target to inhibit IMOVIC emergence by simultaneously reducing inflammation, fibrosis and calcification, the three key pathological processes underlying CAVD. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Marcy Martin, Sarah Motta and Maximilian Emmert from the University of Zurich in Switzerland. The authors note that these rightfully named IMOVICs were suppressed in vitro and in vivo with SORT1 deficiency, thereby reducing AV calcification and fibrosis in mice. Could targeting SORTLIN be a potential therapeutic for future CAVD patients? Iqbal and colleagues found that cholesterol-lowering drugs did not drastically change SORT1 variant association with AS. Therefore, a specific inhibitor may be useful. By reducing inflammation, fibrosis and calcification, Sortlin does address all three major CAVD contributors. Treating patients following heart valve replacement to prevent maladaptive and calcific modifications to the implant is also a possibility, as current anti-mineralization medications have shown limited effect. Because Sortlin is mainly expressed in the central nervous system and associated with neuronal development, precautionary measures should be addressed. However, a specific Sortlin drug target remains to be identified and further research into clinical translation is needed. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.